Hi, and welcome to Straight Shot Radio. My name is Johnny Slick, and I'm the owner and head coach at Straight Shot Training. Personal training is an alluring career for people passionate about fitness and health, and for very good reasons. It's rewarding, challenging, always changing, fast-paced, competitive, and puts you on the front lines of the battle against many preventable diseases and musculoskeletal dysfunctions. But it's not as easy as just walking into a gym and starting to train people. In fact, I teach courses at a local college just to help prepare potential trainers to get a chance to break into the world of training. Whether or not you plan on working in this industry, the information my guest Rebecca Reeschneider and I share with you today will help give you some insight as to what it takes to become a trainer and how to be a successful one once you've gotten into this field. Hey everyone, Rebecca Reeschneider and I are in between training sessions right now and we wanted to talk to you all about careers as coaches and personal trainers in the fitness industry. Rebecca is an ACSM personal trainer. I am a personal trainer through the National Academy of Sports Medicine. She's been a trainer for three years and a health coach for two years and I've been a trainer for 10 years now and we both train anywhere from seven to like 13 clients a day. And we've both mentored younger personal trainers who work with us here at the, the Y. Uh, I also teach a personal training prep course at the community college, and Rebecca is also a basketball coach. So we pretty much live and breathe all things training and coaching. Uh, but we know a lot of people would like to get into the training space, but don't necessarily know how or where to start. So Rebecca, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Let's start out with where would future trainers start? And let's go with all of these things. We'll kind of have to go at from two ways of thinking about the the one person who's a young person who's getting into personal training and another person who's maybe a little bit further on in their life and they're making a career change because there's definitely different ways of going about it. So let's start with the young person. How would they get started personal training? Well, I mean, the basics of it is you need to get a certification in personal training, whether whatever organization would be that that would be through. Um, for a younger person, if they're in the position to go to college and get a bachelor's degree, um, while that's not required, I would highly recommend it. Yeah. Um, I think especially for the younger person, that um, that baseline helps a lot. And I know that I've heard um, from a lot of different organizations that the requirements for becoming a personal trainer are leaning towards needing to have a bachelor's degree. So if you're yeah. in a position to get it, I think it'd be beneficial to, to go ahead and get it. Then. To go ahead and do it yeah. now. But it wouldn't be necessary for somebody who, let's say, they might have a degree in business administration and they've done business for a long time and they want to change careers, it's not necessary for them to go back to college. No. I think a lot of people ask me, well, do I have to go back to school? And the answer is no, you don't. Right. But if you have the opportunity to, it's good to have that foundation. Yes. Um, so, one certification that you do have to have a bachelor's for would be your certified strength and conditioning specialist. But yes. there's, a, there's another one too, isn't there? Is ACSM um, a health physiologist? Do you have to have yes. a bachelor's? Yep. Okay, for so for certain higher level certifications, you would need a bachelor's degree in an approved exercise science program. Right. So yeah, I guess if you're looking, look down the road and see what do you want to do in the future with your certification, and that will dictate whether or not you need a degree for that. But just for general training in a gym, or if you're doing this as a side job, you don't need to have a degree. It's just, it's helpful. Rebecca and I both have exercise science degrees. Uh, we both have bachelors. Are you, are you planning on getting your master's? Probably not. I know. I think I, I, I remember saying that, 
And now thinking about going back to school, it does not sound fun. Uh, but then when I think about, well, what would I use a master's degree for? So if someone's, let's say someone's in college and they are working their bachelor's and they're trying to figure out where they want to go for a master's or a doctorate. Like, what would you need a master's for to, to do what we're, what we're doing in this, in this space? You don't for what we're doing. Yeah. Um, if you wanted to work at a, like, a hospital or a more medical field, then yeah. I could see where a master's degree may be beneficial. But yeah, when I came out of college, my original plan was take a year off and then go get my master's. But as I was working in the field, I'm like, I'm not going to spend all that money and put myself through all that stress because yeah. that's not going to really get me where I want to go. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now for doctorate, I mean, if you want to research exercise science, right. then maybe a master's and a doctorate it would be a good op, you know, option for you. Um, master's degree you would have to have to uh, to teach if you want to teach at a university. Right. So that would be a reason. Yeah. Because uh, right now I found myself I can teach as an adjunct professor, but I can't teach uh, as a professor at a university unless I had a master's degree. So I can right. see me, but I would only need to have a master's in business administration. I wouldn't even need a master's in right. exercise science. It's just no, you, you just... have to have a master's to teach. So if you want to teach, I would go on, or if you want to, to study exercise uh, or do clinical exercise, maybe master's or, or doctorate, but I say bachelor's degree it gives you a good foundation of exercise science, which then you can apply to whatever certification you have. Right. Um, so speaking of certifications, where should someone look to find a certification, and why is the type of certification so important? Well, I would talk to people in the field yeah. <laughs> to figure out where to look for a certification. I mean, if you do a Google search, you'll find endless upon endless oh, lists of, of places to yeah. go. Um, I think the type is most important because of just getting your name out there and building your reputation. There are definitely certain certifications that are more well-known and more respected than others. Yes. And if you don't challenge yourself to get those more respected higher-end certifications, then when you're job searching, it's maybe harder for you to find a yeah. position. Yeah. I mean, there are certain gyms that will only accept ACSM or NASM or NSCA. Those are typically the big three that I tell people to look for. Um, if you are going into any type of sport performance, uh, conditioning type work, you would want to go NSCA just because that's the way that they approach training people. If you want to go into any type of clinical exercise or if, if perhaps you want to get into physical therapy, you want to get a, the basics of, of more rehab, prehab, management type of of training people, I'd say ACSM. You agree with that with yours? Yeah. A little more clinical than, yes. than NASM. NASM I like because it's kind of a mixture. You do have a bit of sport performance in with it. You do have a little bit of just health seeker, health management, uh, minded training with, with NASM. Uh, all of them require you to study. Mm -hmm. So you get a book, you study, and then you had to go somewhere to take your test. Yeah. Yeah. NASM, NSCA, and ACSM all you, you self-study or you can do a program or you can go through the course that I teach at the local community college and you study for, how long do you study for, six months? Uh, well, I had, I just came you out, were of fresh out of college. So yeah, I had a good background and I studied for maybe two months. Okay, and, and pass it, yeah. And then I, I had already had another certification prior and then I studied, and I was already teaching the NASM prep course before I was NASM certified. So <laughs> I studied for like, like, yeah, less than two months and took the test. Uh, for people who don't like taking tests, I think this is a big hang-up for them. Mm -hmm. uh, 
if you fail, you can typically retake. I know with NASM, you can retake for 50 bucks. Yeah. Was, you remember yours? I don't remember what it was, but it was a pretty low cost yeah. to retake it. Yeah, and it's, it's not the end of the world. If, right. If you fail it, if you have trouble taking the test, a lot of times taking the test will help you figure out what you need to go back and study. Yeah. And then did you take practice tests before you did it? They had a couple online that was yeah. available that I went through the questions. I th- I, yeah, I thought those were helpful. Yeah. Uh, that's why I always tell the, the students in my classes to have them take the practice exam early in the semester, so then they know the entire semester, well, I'm good on anatomy, but I really am behind on exercise prescription. Maybe that's what I need to study more. Right. So, um, yeah, when it comes to taking the test, there are tons of resources out there. There's apps. I know that uh, for a while when I first started studying for CSCS, which I hope to have at some point, is when I have time to sit and study. Uh, when I first started studying for that exam, I was using an app that had like flashcards and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's tons of different ways to study. Um, I wouldn't let the test or the test anxiety stop anybody from pursuing no. one of these. It's that's a minor thing. You're you're when you actually get into training, that's when it gets hard. <laughs> like, I think the test is the easy part. Um, so then, let's say somebody takes their test, they pass it. Uh, you well, you didn't do an internship here at the Y. You were just you just came no. on as an employee. Mm-hmm. I did an internship here, but I mine was different because it was a paid internship. So I was actually able to train people and make money while I was an intern. Uh, we do a lot of internships here, and we do a lot of internships up at Shepherd University. And so if someone gets their certification, employers always want experience. And it's uh, when you first start training, how many clients did you have? When you came here like first week that you got your cert? Cert? I didn't have any. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it, it took you what, how many, how many weeks to get a couple of clients? It probably took me about a month to get like three or four, three or four clients. consistent yeah. clients. And... I think that people don't realize how long it takes to build up. Oh, yeah. The fact that we train 40, 50 sessions a week sometimes, mm-hmm. and it's uh, it takes a long time. I mean, it's taken you three years to yeah. build up. Actually, you've probably been at this I've level been at of training this for, for a about couple a year. years. About a year at this yeah, level, yeah. Me. Yeah, it just it takes time. So if someone is just going into a position, uh, they want to look for an internship, what do you think they would look for in an internship? I mean, there's tons of gyms around. Yeah, I would find a Usually, at least what I did when I got my certification, I had a general idea of the kind of population I wanted to be working with okay. and the kind of clients I wanted to work with. So I would try to find a gym that matched what your desires are as far as a trainer. I mean, if you want to be training younger athletes, you'll try to find a gym that you know works with that general population, where if you're more interested in older individuals or your regular everyday middle-aged person, try to find a gym yeah. that fits that. Yeah, that makes your, sense. Um, I'd also try to research the trainers that they have at the gym and if oh, yeah. make sure it's <laughs> people that you would look up to and people you would learn from as opposed to you know somewhere that may not have as qualified or as yeah. skilled or, or even, Yeah, even just the personality of the trainer. Like, is it's, yeah. I've heard before that you are the, the product of the five people that you hang out with the most. And I think that your training style is a direct product of the five trainers that you train around the most. Which is why you and I have a very similar training style. We have differences in the way we, we do certain things, but for the most part, we have a very similar training style. Yeah. And the trainers are who train with us the most, I see them now doing a lot of the same <laughs> right. things we do, which which I like. But I mean, we all still have different ways of, of doing stuff. So I would say when you go somewhere, really look at the person. It's almost like when they interview you for the internship, you were interviewing them. Mm-hmm. Because it's not like you're bound by a contract or something to do shadowing hours or something. You can even right. just shadow them first and see 
do I like the way this person coaches? Because uh, more than likely, I'm going to pick up a lot of their traits. Right. So if you're if you're somewhere where a person is is you know really not in align with with what you're doing, I would say don't stick around just for the right. sake of, of having an internship. Yeah. Um, and the internships are a great way into trans transitioning into a job because mm -hmm. typically when we have interns here, they know the way I train and the way you train and they ask us lots of good questions and they start making up workouts. Sometimes we'll let them, we'll give them a mock client or we'll let them teach a class with us or something. And it's an easy transition from an internship into a job somewhere. But if somebody just applies at a gym, what is the best way to start getting clients and working as a new trainer? For me, it was just being out there. And yeah. so I worked at the desk a lot at the um, health and wellness desk just so that members learned who I was, knew who I was. Um, By a lot. Like you were there every day. Yeah. And and uh, we won't say what you made. <laughs> not much. It is not much. I think that's an, the other thing is, is when people see that personal trainer salaries, you can look it up anywhere online. It's not a secret that personal trainers make more than minimum wage. Right. Um, but a lot of that is, and we can maybe get into this later, a lot of that is the fact that we set up for your session, we make up your workouts, we have to contact all of our clients, we have to do all of our organization stuff behind the scenes, we don't get paid for that. We get paid for the hour we clock in. We talked about this on our Misconceptions About Personal Trainers episode. But yeah, you had to work at the desk a lot of hours at a very low rate just so people knew you, not even just knew your face, but then they actually had to get, get into situations where they would converse with you and realize that you're really freaking smart and you know what you're doing when it comes to training. So yeah, that was, so that's why it took you, you know, a year or so before you really started getting in with clients. And then once people started seeing me train other people, I think that was probably my biggest okay. draw in for clients was they would see me train somebody else and like, well, I want to do that or I want to be I want to be pushed like that or I want to be able to do yeah. those things. So then they would contact me and ask about that or seeing me work out. I was just about to say that. Yeah. I think seeing you work out is a huge thing for your for your female clients who are looking to get strong mm -hmm. because you are one of the stronger women in the gym. So when they see because uh, weightlifting, weight training, strength training has gotten so much more popular in the past 10 years. I've been here eight years now. This gym was so different. Eight years ago, they used to refer to the free weight side as the guys' side and the cardio side as the women's side. That was what they told me when I came here. I'm like, this is crazy. <laughs> so after a while, it got to the point of where people realized how how stupid that was, and how you know women need strength training just as much as men do because we're all humans. And so I think that that was a big thing for you was that you already came into here being strong from your sports background mm -hmm. and then people were seeing that you were getting your female clients very strong right. and I think that was something that's important to them which is great yeah. um, and now it's not even something where a, a guy has a problem taking advice from you on strength because they see that half the time you can bench more than they can so I think it's, I think that you're, the way that you personally train yourself has been a huge part of this and I think that's something I would say to a personal trainer is if if you don't like working out this probably isn't the job for you no um, there we do things we don't like oh, yeah. we sprinted our legs are really sore <laughs> right now uh, but you are your own billboard mm -hmm. so I think between people see you the way you're training your clients they watch the way you demonstrate things um, I always like it when my clients say you made that look really easy right because we should we should we should be we don't have to be the strongest people in the gym because there are plenty of people that are stronger than us. Uh, but I don't want someone to be able to out 
uh, move the way that I move. Right. And, and, but people will. I mean, trainers can have movement oh, issues. Yeah. I have movement issues. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> so I think that's the thing that I strive for is is to make everything, my movement, the best I possibly can for me. Right. And I, so my clients understand that they might have injuries, they might have different things that hold them back in certain areas, but we're going to try to get them to the best version of them yes. that's possible. And um, that takes us into our next uh, question, which is what's the best way to keep clients? Is... I think best help them see results. Um, yep. And maybe those results aren't exactly what they came in looking for per se. So like a lot of times my clients will come in and say, well, I want to lose weight. Okay. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can help you do that. But then helping them learn that, okay, losing weight is, you know, a good thing. And it's something that where I'm going to help them strive for but along the way also learning that you know movement is fun movement's enjoyable yeah i'm able to accomplish things that i wasn't able to accomplish before and learning helping them learn again my motivation talk the intrinsic yeah. <laughs> motivation of exercise uh, helping them love themselves and love the work that they're doing to better themselves yeah and then you know, there's no stopping them from there. I, I think the, the best way I've found to keep clients is getting people out of the mindset that they are here to burn calories or to build muscle. Right. Or to just get strong. Once they realize that the better that they move in the gym, the better they'll move at home, mm -hmm. and the better they'll feel once they start moving better. Because both of us take a pretty movement-based approach. We're not yeah. bodybuilding coaches. We don't train people. We, we can train people for hypertrophy, but that's not typically what we do. Right. We do help people lose weight. But that's not solely what we're focused on. If I can get my weight loss clients to understand the way they move. Right. I mean, I have a client now who is down almost 40 pounds. And his biggest concern when he comes into this session is perfecting his back squat form. Mm -hmm. And he takes care of his diet and that's how he's losing weight. And I right. make sure he does his cardio. But I think that's the biggest thing for me is getting people to, to share in the passion that I have for movement. Right. And once you have that connection with somebody, I think a personal connection is the greatest oh, yeah. way to keep a client. Because if you don't gel with somebody, and you and I have had people that don't get oh, along yeah. with us, and, yep. and uh, a lot of times they don't end up training with us, and that's, I don't think that that's something a person needs to be uh, taking, to, taking offense at, that somebody doesn't like the way they train. They could just... It's, it's weird because a lot of times we're pushed in, like you as a trainer and a client, you're basically pushed in this relationship that all of a sudden, okay, you're paying for my services. Now we're good. We're best buddies. You're supposed to tell me all of your intimate secrets about your <laughs> diet and your sleep habits and right. what you do when you're not here. It's a weird concept. It is. It's a weird job, Rebecca. <laughs> if you think weird, about it that way, yeah. it is. Um, but yeah, I think even with that, if you can find something that you, you and your client have in common, yeah, um, I know that that's what I try to do. Even that first session, if it's okay, um, you know, anything, whether you know, gardening because I live on a farm, or basketball because that's what I coach and I play, yeah. Uh, interest in music anything that if you can find that one thing that you have in common then you can help build that relationship hmm. and they trust you more outside of just this person knows what they're doing when it comes to exercise and they better listen to them yeah <laughs> I, I think it's also helpful having something that you can connect with the person on when it comes to their struggle right which you definitely I think you you have much more than I do because you did not grow up enjoying being active and you did not grow up eating healthy and you have made a huge transformation in the way that you look, feel, and perform. 
And when your clients hear that story, they don't always get that from you the first day. A no. lot of times you'll spring that on them later. Oh, yeah. I think that really helps them get it. And I know in the podcast that you were on, which is our second episode, it was 34 episodes ago. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> and I remember a lot of people connected with the fact that you had, you did not have it easy and you still don't have it easy. No. You're still fighting the, your genetics that are not... <laughs> They're not athletic genetics. No, they are not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not being mean. No, you would say, that's very um, true. And you've worked for everything you have. And and for me, um, I haven't had that much of a struggle. I am built like a smaller person. So for me, I'm 30 pounds heavier than whenever I first got into personal training. And I have to work for my strength and my muscle because I'm not a big guy. Um, so I can connect with people somewhat on that. But I, I feel like you have a, a really good connection. But I think it's important to know that you don't have to have that to be a trainer. Because mm-hmm. some people think, well... Um, I don't have a good testimony. I'm going to be a good trainer. Right. And it's, I think it, it, it's, you can have all different backgrounds and still connect exactly. with the client. Yeah. Yeah. Every individual's out working to try to better themselves. And, you know, you may not have some drastic story, but everybody has a story of some sort. Yeah, everyone's had the hardest thing they've ever dealt with. Right. <laughs> so how, do you, how did you transition from practicing what you learned in your schooling or your certification to now developing your own coaching style? Because I've seen you definitely change over the past three years of training. And I know I've changed a ton in the past 10 years in the way I do things. So how did you make that transition? Um, I think a lot of it was, well, I interned when I was in college. So I interned with the strength and conditioning coach then. So I had a little bit of experience trying to help and coach some teams and people that way. Um, But then just... Talking with other trainers, talking with other people, some that I agreed with, some that I didn't agree with, but trying to diversify the information that I had. And then as I was training clients, but probably more as I was training myself, of trying all these different things and learning what worked and what didn't work, what I liked and what I didn't like, and the style just kind of morphed over time. Um, But with exercise science as well as a lot of the other sciences, I think what's always exciting is that the information is always changing. Yes, it's exciting but very frustrating. Yes. (laughs) Because even though we try to stay on top of it, our clients are getting some weird information some oh, yeah. days. <laughs> but with that, you know, you, you're constantly learning new things and just constantly updating your knowledge. And yeah. basically, I like to read something, try it on myself first, and then pass it on to my clients if I think it is okay. beneficial. Yeah, Rebecca and I once spent six, was it six months that we didn't lift weights, that we just did body weight, we did a gymnastics yeah. program. Um, I know I learned a lot from that, but I know, <laughs> looking back, I'm like, man, I lost a lot of strength during that. Yeah. Um, and then we've done uh, CrossFit-style programs. We've done bodybuilding-style programs. And I think that every time we've tried something different, I've learned a lot. And, yeah. then, and I know that I end up putting those things a little bit into my programming, right. um, taking what I like, what I don't like, and then also taking what is science-based and what isn't science-based and making sure you can separate those two things. Uh, the problem I have with my college is that uh, – the information I got in there, I didn't realize it was out of date until I got into training. Because yes. a lot of times the books are out of date or the professors are old school and they're doing things a certain way. And you get out in the real world and realize, oh, it doesn't work like this. Right. So I think trial and error is huge in developing your own mm-hmm. coaching style. And I think coaches need to not be afraid of, of failing and being honest with themselves and their clients when they're like, I'm sorry, that didn't work. Let's try something different. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. All right, so Rebecca and I actually have to run to go train clients right now. <laughs> so we'll take a quick break and then we'll come back. 
Ah, welcome back, Rebecca. How was your session? It was pretty good. Okay, because one, yeah, one client not show up. Yep. And I did an hour session, so yeah, one client not show up, and you had your second client did show up, and I had an hour client here that we just that we just got finished up with. All right, so we finished talking about how you develop your own coaching style, and one of the big parts I think it's actually mandatory for us as personal trainers is continuing continuing education. It helps you develop your style as a personal trainer. But it also is required in order for you to keep your certification. Typically, every two or three years, you have to do a certain amount of hours of continuing education. This can be pretty much whatever you want it to be as long as it's approved by your organization. Mm-hmm. But how important do you think is continuing education is outside of it being mandatory? And what are some of, some of your favorite ways to stay on top of what's new when it comes to the continuing ed? I think it's one of the, probably the most important things um, outside of, you know, actually working with your clients because like I said before the information is always changing studies new studies are always coming out Uh, we're learning more and gaining a better understanding of our bodies and how they work and different supplements and things that are available Um, so staying up on top I think is one of the best ways that you can keep your clients and then be successful with your clients Um, one of my favorite ways is well I'm certified through the ACSM so they send out um, newsletters and they send out journals Okay. every, I don't know if it's once a month or some of them are once a week and so just going through those and kind of getting some ideas of some new research that's coming out and that they're promoting and then I also go off and look at other articles not just those that the ACSM puts out Yeah. Um, but I kind of get some ideas of the rabbit hole I'll go down Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I... from there I find myself a lot of times whenever I do those continu- continuing ed courses, like if I do a course through NASM or if I do a course through APA or CrossFit or whoever I want my search through, that I always want to implement those things right away. And as a new trainer, I would. I would come back from like a workshop or a weekend and, be, and all my clients were going to be doing whatever I did that weekend. <laughs> I think that I've learned over the years that it's really important to take those things that you're learning as a trainer through continuing education and really looking into it yourself and practicing it yourself for a bit and then figure out, okay, what's real and what's not when it comes to what can I give to my clients? Because right. there is some stuff that comes out in these studies that is just not applicable to the clients that we're, clientele that we're working with. Or we learn some stuff that's cool, but it's just not going to fly with what we do here. Right. Uh, the, the other thing that I like to do is when I see something online about uh, Tea that burns fat, or but- butter in your coffee burning fat, or all these. Were uh, I've been doing a lot of research re- recently into GMOs and uh, organic versus non-organic, and, and growing um, uh, crops, and how that changes the way that that food may or may not be digested. And mm-hmm. that led me down a really long rabbit hole, something my clients would never even want to know about. But I like looking into the studies behind those things. So if somebody says something and a statement sounds crazy to me, I want to look at the studies that either back up what they're saying or don't back up what they're saying. So both of us don't mind reading journal studies. I know that's tough for a lot of people, but I think that's one of the things about training that people don't realize is that there's a lot of boring work behind the scenes. It's not just us getting to have a great time working with our clients. We do a lot of boring reading, <laughs> but of course it's not boring to us. No, it's you not could probably read them all night. Yeah, so I think that's that's a, a huge thing for trainers is staying on top of what's new, but not just what's new, but what what is scientifically sound and yes. new. Because we are in a science based field. 
We're not in an emotional based or I feel like it would be this way. It's it either is this way or it isn't. Right. Or maybe it looks like this, but we need to experiment with it. And, but it has to be founded in something. That's one of the, the ways that we uh, we use our continuing education is to make sure that we're practicing things according to the way that our certification bodies would want us practicing them. Obviously, right. we do things a little bit differently. You don't train exactly the ACSM standards. No. I don't train exactly the NASM standards. But we're not going to do anything insane that right. would tarnish who we're organized through and other trainers with those certs. So yes. uh, now speaking of certifications, what about sub-certifications or add-on certs? So like with NASM, we have uh, the corrective exercise specialist certification or the performance enhancement uh, certification. I have CrossFit and then my add-on cert is movement and mobility coach. And then you have your ACSM CBT and then you have the health coach, which is right. Kind of like not really an add-on cert. That's like a whole other That's cert in like itself. Pretty much yeah. So cert. additional certifications. How important are those to a person's career as a trainer? I think it helps you kind of develop your niche of what you like. Um, it may also help you diversify a little bit more uh, depending on the direction that you go. Um, I use. I knew coming in that I was really drawn to the health coaching. Okay. So I wanted to get my personal training because I knew I'd get more clients that way and I'd have a better. I have a better base to go off gotcha. of, um, but I always knew that I was very passionate about the wellness coaching, and that was something I always wanted to get in addition to so I could be able to do that. Okay. Um, but then I've thought about getting a few other certs here or there. Um, some of it helps if they work as continuing education for towards certs yes. you already yeah, have. Then it's definitely beneficial. I think certain jobs, you know, look at the certs that you have, and it shows how much effort you're willing to put yeah. in. To, to your career and what you're looking to get. Yeah, because these are in, a, in addition, typically we don't show somebody what all of our continuing ed is, right. but you do show them what all of your certs are. So whenever somebody sees that I have you know, X amount of certifications, they realize, oh, you, you studied and taken four or five different tests and you uphold all of these certifications and you've had these for this many years. Right. Definitely brings you value as a trainer. Depending on where you work, it can actually mean more money. Mm -hmm. So years of experience typically means you're gonna make more as a trainer. Uh, at certain places, but just as much as that is if you have this extra cert or that extra cert or if you're also a group exercise instructor or if you're also a, a spin instructor or you have one of those specialty certs, that's going to get you possibly even more money and open up more doors to training. So um, I think it's great. I don't think that people need to jump right into them. I know people who get their NASM CPT, so the National Academy of Sports Medicine Certified Personal Trainer and they immediately go out and get their corrective exercise specialist and their weight loss specialist and their performance enhancement specialist but they haven't even started training anybody so uh, what do you how long do you think somebody should start training before they start looking at add-on certs i don't know maybe a year yeah so i would say yeah i was gonna say yeah. a year it's like see if this is even something that you're you're right. cut out for yeah you don't want to because these certs add-on certs are even 600 500 600 dollars sometimes yeah. so yeah i would say see if this is something that you're cut out for see if you might think that you want to work in, in corrective exercise, but you actually really want to do performance enhancement. And you'll find that out as you start training people. Right. Uh, you know, what you, what you think your niche is and then what it actually is might be different. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I think they're important, but I don't think that they're the, the biggest thing people need to worry about. Right. Like you and I do a lot of performance enhancement stuff with people. Um, I don't have Just from our training, but we don't have the cert in it. Right. Uh, now, there's certain things that we can't do if we don't have certain certifications. Like, we're not registered dietitians, right. so we don't prescribe specific diets for people, but we can. We have enough training to give them nutritional advice right. with, within our scope. So, yeah, I would say re 
give training a shot first and see see where it's kind of leading you before you start worrying too much about extra certifications. Mm -hmm. uh, so what do you think the hardest thing about personal training is? Or let's, let's, there's probably a whole list of things. <laughs> let's talk about some of the things that are hard about personal training. Because we've talked about getting into it. Right. Um, and obviously, we've talked before about how much we love this and enjoy this. But yeah. what are some hard stuff? What do you think struggles for you? For me, the hardest thing is not putting more not caring more about a client session than the client does. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of things kind of go into that, but I yeah. I have a, you know, extremely hard somebody with some people say obsessive work ethic. And so okay. I put so much time and energy and effort not only into preparing the workouts, but when I'm with the client trying to coach them and draw as much out of them as I possibly can. And there are some clients that just aren't willing to reciprocate that effort and I yeah. can't stress myself out over people that aren't willing to put in the effort and yeah that's you, you say that very nicely yeah. <laughs> like if I said that I'd be like editing this out of the podcast no I think I think it's it's but that's that's true it's it is hard when you care more about something than something the other person is right. especially when it's a matter of their health like it, you need to lose this much weight you need to get your blood sugars under control. Um, you need to work on your balance because you're 75 years old and you've already fallen three times. Like there's certain things where we start caring about it more than they do, and there's nothing there's, that doesn't do any good. No, it doesn't. Because it's it, we can't make them want it. They have to want to do it for themselves. Right. As soon as they want it, we'll go the extra mile, oh, yeah. and then two miles after that to help them attain whatever that goal is. But yeah, making somebody want something is impossible, and it took me a long time to realize I couldn't make somebody want something. Right. It has to be a choice that they make, yeah. which is difficult, yes. even with your Jedi certification. That's your health care certification. <laughs> That's my health Yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I definitely think there are ways that we can help somebody want something. Yes. But we can't make, make them, them want I think, it. Yeah, I think you said it perfectly. Yeah. Um, other little things that people don't realize, we deal with a lot of paperwork yes. and logging of sessions the thing that I still find difficult, I hate the money side of it. Oh, I do too. And I think that's why we're so poor. <laughs> I think if we if we liked money better, well, this is probably good that we don't love money, but it's actually very good that we don't love money, but it is difficult. The, the whole money side of it, I wish it wasn't so expensive to do personal training, Right. but I know what goes into it. I know how expensive my certs were in my college and what it takes to live and what right. you do for a job. But it's it's tough that you know asking people for to continue to train with you isn't as hard as it used to be. When I first started training, I always it was like really awkward to ask, yeah. "Hey, you gonna buy five more sessions with me?" Now it's you know, "Hey, just to let you know, uh, you have two more sessions left. Uh, if you want to go purchase some up at the front, we're, we're running a sale. It's on this. That's a lot yeah. easier than it used to be. But still, it is still weird that there's because I get so into the relationship with the clients mm -hmm. that I sometimes forget. Oh wow, they're they're. I don't forget that they're paying for it because I always want to provide the greatest value for it. Right. But I always forget that there is that is that they have to see that I'm valuable enough for them to put out this much money to meet with me. Right. And then I almost feel – you ever feel guilty? Sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. Because yeah, <laughs> I always know that I'm going to provide my client with more value. That's my goal is to provide them with more value than what they're paying for the services. But they're still paying for a service. And this right. still is a business. And that's the tough part is that we have this emotional side of personal training and we have the connections we have with our client. Um, I've had two sessions this week with two clients who are going through some really tough stuff, both family and work-wise, and I have clients butted up against their sessions, and we have this hour 
and I have to be like, okay, hey, bye. I'm gonna go with my next client. Like, right. it's still, it's still a business, even though it is this emotional, personal relationship that we have with these people. And I think that's a tough part with it personal is. training. It is, and I, it's hard for me to kind of draw that line because with my job, my, my clients have my cell phone number because oh, yeah, that's do. how they contact me. <laughs> so I'll have some clients that are, have some issues or going through things, and they'll text me when I'm not working. Yes, and. In my, my heart is I'm going to text back and oh, I'm going to yeah. communicate with and I'm going to talk to him. But where do you draw that line of I'm not at work anymore? And yeah, but and so some I mean most uh, have great clients and the majority of them they very try very hard not to overstep yeah. the boundaries. Yeah, I feel like they but, do a good job. Um, there are sometimes when they just they need to talk to somebody and because of that relationship we built with each other, I'm somebody that they contact. Yeah. And, well, and we also become friends with a lot of our clients. Right. That's the other tough part is when you're yeah. friends with your clients and then there is still, they still have to pay to see you for this one half hour a week, even though you hang out with them outside <laughs> of here. So that's, yeah, it's, there's a lot of tough things. Um, uh, cancellations, if, if somebody yeah. cancels within 20, within 24 hours, the policy is that we still have to charge them because we, we carve out that time for that person and we could put somebody else in that spot if they give us enough notice, but if they don't, the policy is we have to charge them, and that that sucks too. I don't yeah. like doing it. We have to do it, um, but that's tough too when you're friends with somebody. You're like, hey, buddy, I had to charge you for that <laughs> session. Um, but I think the better your rapport is with your your clients, and and the more honest you are with them, they realize you're, we're not trying to do this. They know we're not doing this for money, right? Because they know they, they see how we dress <laughs> and what we eat, and they know we're not in it for the money. So I, I think that that's helpful. I think um, that that's something a person needs to realize going to personal training that. And it's a hard thing about personal training is realizing that it's not a glamorous job and you don't make as much money as you think trainers are supposed to make. Right. If you, unless you're working in like a high-end studio in a city or something. Right. But for the most part, personal trainers are not making tons and tons of money. No. No, it's not. You're, my reward in this job is not my paycheck at the end of the week. It's the relationships and experiences I have throughout the week. But Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. You, you, don't, you don't come into this... Um, profession thinking you're going to get rich doing it no <laughs> we might actually have to lead the episode with that Rebecca, that's pretty much gonna people might just turn off there and be like well guess i'm going to corporate finance <laughs> i promise we have way more fun doing this than you probably would in corporate finance all right so uh let's wrap it up here with qualities that make a successful personal trainer i jotted down some and we'll build off of these uh you have to have some time management skills oh definitely you think so yeah you have to be able to c contain everything in that session uh patience Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, empathy. I think that's probably one of the most important yeah. for me anyway. Yeah. Being empathetic and be, not necessarily feeling sorry for your clients, but be able to relate to them where they are. Yep. Yeah, I think that's great. Uh, organized. Yes, definitely. Yeah, because if you're not, and we, I know some very unorganized trainers, and they kind of, they're just really good at just coming up with stuff on the spot. But um, your clients can only progress so far with. Pulling things out of a hat. Yeah. Um, I put fair. So with this, fair meaning the uh, the expectations I have of my clients. Oh, so nice. I'm not extra. I don't. I don't feel like I'm extra hard on one person. I'm not overly critical of this person. Right. I'm not going to tear their squat to pieces and and then somebody else let them slide with lots of stuff. I feel like right. the same things for different people. I still have the same. Uh, and it all comes back to movement science. I always want people moving in good positions. So right. I feel like I'm pretty 
I feel like I'm pretty fair when it comes to things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, showing favoritism is not something you can do as a trainer. No. So I guess not non partialism. I would maybe or, <laughs> or non partiality. Right. Uh, you you have to you have to treat everybody the same. You yes. have to be. And, and I think part some I know I have had some conversations with clients of those saying, "Well, you don't push this person as hard as you push me." Yes, that's totally different. And that that is totally yeah. different because every person is starting at a different spot. Yes. So they're hard is not your heart yes and just having to be aware of that but yeah everybody gets the same effort no matter yeah no matter what yeah i think that's important um but adaptive being being able to to adapt to tough situations yes i've gone into sessions with with a plan and the client did not feel like doing any of that <laughs> yeah and um on, on one hand, I will make them do certain things. On the other hand, mm -hmm. I'll, you have to make compromises. You right. can't just go in there. This is what we're doing. I don't care how your knee feels. You're doing step ups. Like yes. you have to be able to adapt. You have to be able to do it on the fly. Yeah. Which definitely. I think that do you think that comes more with experience than anything else? Yeah, I do. it's more exercises you have in the back of your mind. The yes. more you have to draw oh my gosh. from. I've pulled um, out some crazy. Uh, I've even made up ones on the spot. Like when they can't get something, and I do the same. I will do different cues. I'll, I'll block their movement somehow. I'll start changing it, and, and I'll come up with a lunge variation that I didn't even know existed in my brain <laughs> just to get this person to be able to perform this right. pattern that I want them to perform in a way that feels good. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I think exercise bank in your head. Uh, I, now, this one has a question mark. Do you have to be outgoing? I don't think so. I'm pro I personally say I'm the least outgoing person <laughs> there is. Um, I think you, you have to be able to interact with people at least on an individual one-on-one -on -one level. Yes. Um, and you need to be comfortable being in public and being with people. But I don't think you necessarily have to be an outgoing, outgoing bubbly person. personality. Well, you and I have almost opposite personalities, yes. introvert, extrovert-wise. I love being in front of class. We we're just talking about this. I love being in front of big classes, in front of people I don't know. I obviously like talking because of a podcast <laughs> where I sit in front of a microphone and talk to myself and maybe the hundred people to listen. Um, but it's different with you. You yeah. enjoy. We we both enjoy the one-on-one -on -one connections. But I think you thrive in the one-on-one -on -one connections point. You do great teaching classes, especially when you know the people. Right. You still do well teaching the bigger classes, but it's not what you look forward to as no. much as the one-on-one. -on -one. And I love the one-on-one, -on -one, but when I feel energized, I'm pumped after I teach a big class of people, and I get to do I get to coach 20 people at once. Right. And uh, I still get energized from doing one-on-one, -on -one, but I'm probably not quite to the point of where I do with teaching a big class. Yeah, I'm totally the opposite. My favorite sessions are when I'm with one client and they hit a breakthrough. It may okay. be exercise-wise, but it may be something to not totally unrelated to health, but something related to health. But it may not be the exercise. Maybe. Oh, I just I need to set this priority, or I need to make this change, and all of this is going to come into place. And it's like that light bulb goes off, and you can see it in their okay. eyes. And that's what I get my high off of is just with that one client when everything else goes away, and I'm just totally focused on helping them. And they have that breakthrough. Yeah, yeah. So I would say for if you're looking to be a personal trainer, you don't necessarily have to be outgoing. You just have to enjoy the company of a person <laughs> yes. or humans in general. If you don't like humans in general. Probably not a personal trainer. <laughs> you could maybe program workouts online if you really love fitness and you don't like right. interacting with people. There's tons of career options for people who are not into people. Right. But uh, yeah, it does help to at least be able to converse well with people. Mm -hmm. Last one I wrote was passionate. I think that that is, is glaring to clients if you are not passionate about what you do. Yeah. 
Definitely. We have any others to add to this one? Um, yeah, going along the lines of passion, I think you have an empathy. You have to care. Yeah. You have to care about not only the work that you're doing and the field in and of itself, but you need to care about the person that you're going to be working with um, enough to you know, go the extra mile and do all the little things that are going to help them be the best that they can be. Yeah. That's all, yeah. Very important. Awesome. So any ending words of advice for people on their way to becoming personal trainers? Talk to as many people as you can. Get yeah. as many experiences in different environments as you can. I know I went into college thinking I wanted to do one thing. I did an internship and said, nope, that yep. is not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, went a little different route and did talk with more people and had some more experiences and kind of found my niche of what I liked. And I think the more experiences you have, you only learn so much from books. Yes. Once you have to actually get out in the field and get uh, that, involved, that would be that would be my advice: is get your certification obviously before you start training people, but right. start writing workouts for yourself. Start experimenting on things. Maybe start uh, working out with your friends and seeing, um, you know, what works and what doesn't. And mm -hmm. as you're doing that, work towards your certification. Get your cert, and then just get into somewhere where you can start practicing. Yeah, and it's. It's going to be tough, and there's going to be times when you feel like you're not good at what you're what you're doing. You feel like an an imposter sometimes, like I shouldn't be doing this, and you just, it's it goes away after a while. Although there's still some times where I'm like, do yeah. I really know what I'm doing? Yeah. <laughs> I think that's important to be honest with yourself too. Definitely. Is and is going into this, be honest with yourself and question yourself. Is is this beneficial that I'm doing with this client? Is this uh, is this what I'm really passionate about as you're right. getting into it and be be honest with yourself be honest with your clients um, and then I, like we said about qualities um, understanding empathy and, mm -hmm. and, and deploying empathy with your everyone you come into contact with I think is, is one of the biggest things um, along with obviously the practical knowledge of being a personal trainer is just having those those interpersonal skills right because your clients not gonna well Get another quote. Mine's yeah. not going to uh, care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah. Uh, you, Rebecca made that up. That's a quote directly from Rebecca. No, I didn't make nope, it up. Just, I got just it from go with somewhere. It. Okay. It's on, a, it's on a pillow crocheted at your house. Probably. <laughs> That'll be your housewarming gift at your party coming up. All right. Well, thank you, Rebecca. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for listening today. If you want to connect with us on social media, you can do so using the handle at StraightShotTraining. If you're looking for a comprehensive strength and conditioning program or a mobility and prehab program to use as your warm-up, check out a subscription to StraightShot or our Resilient program by visiting StraightShotTraining.com. As always, if you could leave us a review and a rating on iTunes, we'd really appreciate it. Thanks again. And have a great week, everybody.